Where does yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away? Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now, where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. Bonnie D. in the house. Thank you to the voice of Ryan Treasure. We are here with week four of my crystal ball prediction special. This is my ninth year doing this, and I gather 50, 60, 70, oh, almost everybody who's been on a show during the past calendar year to share four minutes of their predictions. And we're sticking with the theme from 2023, the future of something and AI. And I love these shows because people who accept the invitation are from a variety of industries, professions, careers, skill sets, creative genres. We have a little bit of everything today. And so you're all going to meet and greet. We make friends on this show. We network on the show. You meet people you would never meet otherwise. So I'm going to start off, of course, with, as January 10th, by the way, I'm going to start off with, you know, one of my poems that I co-create with ChatGPT. Now, it's not all AI. Just remember that. I edit it, change it, tweak it, and a little bit of personalization. So it's AI plus human. And Andrew, my engineer, will attest that I, Bonnie's still a human, so as far as I know. Okay, so here's the poem, and when you hear your name, just wave wildly. Here we go. Welcome, time voyagers, to futures yet unknown. Tech Revolution's crystal ball special, a journey to be shown. Guiding this odyssey, Bonnie D, that's me, true and bright. <laughs> Maestra of manana, bringing predictions to delight. As the sultaness of speculation, somebody called me that, and the diva of divination, I love that, she salutes the futurist creme de la creme's expert prognostication. That's all of you, the futurist creme de la creme. Eric, wave hello. Sherry, wave hello. Ryan, wave hello. Tom, wave hello. Trish, wave hello. Charles, wave hello. Alexandra, wave hello. Jeremy, wave hello. Brad, wave hello. They're going to share the future of AI, perhaps bold and rad. That rhymed with Brad, in case you didn't get that. Visionaries peering into the digital sphere as 2024 unfolds, but will their prescience adhere? Meaning, will your prediction stick? Raise your cup, whether Joe Earl, Jack, or Dom, to Tech Revolution stage, where we're poised with aplomb. That rhymes with Dom. Thank you, Tom. Bonnie D. Scarlet Mike carries her voice clear, welcoming tomorrow's possibilities here. Tune in, watch, listen, and stay with us a while. You might be inspired, or perhaps you'll just smile. Hey, what'd you think? Like it? Do I get a thumbs nice. up? And I thank you very much. I worked on that, the smile I added at the end. So our speaker order, let me just give a quick overview. You're not giving your bios or quotes today. I have a very short bio, and I hope I captured the, the guts, the piss, the core of who you are. So Eric Simone took me three years to learn how to pronounce his last name. It's the Eon Simone that had me fooled. Eric Simone is the founder and CEO of Clearblade Inc., an Internet of Things, IoT, edge computing, and AI software company, previously founder and CEO of Complete, Compete Incorporated and held positions in senior engineering and sales at IBM and Johns Hopkins Hospital. He's a distinguished alumni at Purdue University. Welcome back, Eric. Sherry Ann Meyer, she's using the Ann today. Usually it's just Sherry. She's formal today. Is an HR technology expert and influencer whose mission is to humanize technology and distill complex topics into simplified terms. She's a senior certified professional of 
SHRM, SHRM, and HRP, HRIP, Certified International Human Resources Information Management Professional. Sherry, that business card must be very, very big. A community leader, speaker, writer, and podcast producer. Welcome, Sherry. Ryan Walsh, wave hello. He served tours in Iraq and Afghanistan as a U.S. Army Ranger with the 75th Ranger Regiment. And as always, Ryan Walsh, I thank you for your service. He's a founder and CEO at Valkyrie, V-A-L-Q-A-R-I, providing the only patented and universal drone delivery infrastructure. He has founded and run multi-million dollar companies from inception to exit. Welcome back, Ryan. Tom Raftery, wave hello, the man who rocks the hat. I have to get everybody to wear a hat on some show with Tom and see (laughs) where's the best hat. Tom is a tech and sustainability evangelist, guest lecturer at the Instituto Internacional San Telmo, former global VP at SAP, which is where we met, an independent industry in, industry analyst focusing on IoT, energy, and clean tech, and he's a futurist for Gerd Leonhardt's Futures Agency. He founded a, a co-founded an Irish software development company, a social media consultancy, and Hyper Energy Efficient Data Center CIX. Welcome back, Tom. Trisha Cerrone, say hello, Trisha. She's a creative executive screenwriter, leadership coach, author who teaches collaboration to teams in crisis. I think you all need to get her number. She's a (laughs) former Walt Disney Imagineering executive. Get this. She led the company's Blue Sky Studio for four years. Trisha was innovating everything from rides to retail concepts. She co-authored the book Authentic Collaboration, and she's writing a thriller fiction series called The Black Swan Files and just published episode three, Edition three called Glimmer. Glow, little glow, word glimmer. <laughs> Thank you, Trish. We're delighted to have you. Charles A. Wilson is with us, thought leader and principal consultant data analytics and AI at Wipro. Tw- uh, 25 years leading advanced analytics, performance management, AI solution development for Fortune 1000s. He has done consulting leadership roles for Wipro, IBM, and solution providers in the Microsoft, SAP, Oracle, and Infor ecosystems. Welcome, Charles. Alexandra Whittington is with us, a futurist writer, speaker, member of TCS's Future Business Team, former lecturer in Insight, Foresight at the University of Houston. I'm mixing up my words. She co-authored and co-edited the books A Very Human Future, Aftershocks and Opportunities, and The Future Reinvented. Forbes named Alexandra one of the world's top women futurists. Everybody give a thumbs up for that. Her TEDx talk is titled the Museum of the Future. Alexandra, delighted to have you. Jeremy Kessler is here. He changed his bio on me last night. Let's see what he's doing now. He's a global executive leadership coach and organizational development consultant for fast-moving organizations. Watch them go. From tech startups to multinationals, he helps leaders improve their coaching skills to promote a growth mindset and a culture of learning and innovation with their teams. He has held roles at the Coca-Cola Company and SAP, and he once invented a product that he sold on QVC. How about that? Maybe you'll put that in your prediction, Jeremy. And last but not least, my good friend, longtime friend and colleague, and I did so many radio shows with him at SAP, Brad Borkin. He's now a motivational speaker and co-author of, get this, When Your Life Depends on It, Extreme Decision-Making Lessons from the Antarctic. And he also co-wrote Audacious Goals, Remarkable Results, How an Explorer, an Engineer, and a Statesman Shaped Our Modern World. Brad focuses on real-life visionaries, life-and-death decisions, revealing lessons in leadership, teamwork, and grit. I like that grit in there, Brad, to help us make better decisions today. Delighted to have all of you. I hope I did justice to your, it's not easy taking 5,000 words bios and reducing them to three sentences and being true to who you really are. Thank you all so much. Let's get the party started. Eric Simone. See, hey. I, still, I still remembered it. Eric, I'm putting yeah. you on speaker view. Four minutes. What have you got for us? Go ahead. All right. Well, I'm going to stick to my knitting, which is I'm the Internet of Things edge computing nerd here. So first, 
I've got five. First one, AI becomes the killer app for edge computing. So edge computing up to this point has been used, in my opinion, for simple tasks, uh, data filtering, protocol conversion, some rule-based stuff, but we really haven't adopted edge computing. So the killer app for edge is untethering AI from the cloud uh, and the data center. AI is much more valuable when it's at the edge where the data is being generated or created. Uh, we can stream that data in real time and we can make everything around us smarter. So this I'm already seeing happening in industries like energy, transportation, smart retail. You're hearing the uh, Walmart, Microsoft announcement recently and smart homes. Like right now, the smart home market has been really dumb in my opinion. Uh, but you're going to start to have all your devices with AI on them interacting with you and your natural language. And so we're going to get to that Jetsons future where I can just say, hey, make me a chicken dinner, Rosie, and things will happen, right? It's going to take a few years, but you're going to start to see edge AI at the edge, edge AI really transform these businesses. Number two, digital twins get connected with IoT. Look, most digital twins are not connected in real time today. Most are kind of more in the in the lab and in the science that they're really valuable. But for digital twins to, to get more value out of them, they've got to be connected in real time. And this is hard work. Um, this makes them more valuable. This really moves them into the operational arenas. Operational digital twins enable operators to monitor and control their physical equipment. Uh, that you're going to start to see moving forward. I'm already seeing that uh, in some of the businesses we work with today. Number three. Generative AI elevates digital twin creation. Okay, here's the other part of the digital twin story. Um, look, it's still too hard to create digital twins, but by applying Gen AI to digital twin systems, we're gonna enable our operators to type or speak simple commands like, hey, connect my fleet of 64 Zamboni ice resurfacers, tell me their location, speed, fuel level, temperature, oil level, and if the oil level drops below 20%, I want you to notify maintenance, all with verbal commands, all with typed commands. Uh, this puts the power in the hands of operators and without the need to wait on IT or computer programmers, we're gonna interface with our stuff in a more natural language way. Four, ESG becomes accountable with IoT. So environmental, social, and governance movements have been on the rise for the last several years, but they haven't been held accountable yet. Commitments to carbon reduction initiatives get serious by, by streaming data usage via IoT and ensuring those commitments are met. I'm seeing this happening now in areas like buildings, transportation, and energy. Five, the last one, cloud providers embrace third-party IoT services. This has already started to happen, but the cloud providers have began shifting their strategy to go to more partner-led IoT, folks that have focused on the industry for decades, um, they're rapidly embracing these folks to give best of breed software services to their customers. And the companies uh, that are working with the clouds uh, are, are really benefiting from that. So the whole ecosystem is uplifted. We use cloud infrastructure and then IoT infrastructure is being provided by others. And those are my five. Wow, you beat the clock. I think I'm looking at the clock. It was about three minutes. Eric Simone, right. well done. Very interesting. <laughs> uh, last week, 
my uh, my show, Alex Becker. I think you know him, Ryan, the, the Drizzt guy. He, uh, he can help you rent out your drone anywhere in the world. Um, he started out with about 12 predictions at the top of the show, and everybody's eyes were rolling. It's like, well, what's left for us? It was, he just machine gunned them off. Thank you, Eric. That was great. Let's move on. Sherry Ann Meyer, you're up. Full speaker. Uh, those were us. all great, Eric, by the way. Um, I especially love the ESG one. And one of my, I didn't put it in my prediction list, but one of my things is this is the year that everyone's being forced to go back to the office and abandon remote work. Isn't that going to affect the corporation's ESG numbers? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Anyway, to move on to um, AI, AI is supposed to reduce cost and result in more rapid decision-making, right? Reducing work. That's all great. But the thing that people have been ignoring is garbage in, garbage out, right? So 2024's IT talent pool is really going to be an increased focus on talent that can both manipulate the data and ensure the quality of the data. So that whole old data governance thing. Um, the thing that's apparent is that people aren't ignoring that technology. They're diving in, but what are they diving into? And as a corporation, you can't just dive in and do your term paper with uh, chat GPT. Uh, we've spent a lot of time also moving to self-service of data entry, but increasingly there's going to be this need to really validate that data somehow. So we're going to go back to some basics, I think, in technology that are really necessary. And this is why I think because by 2020, 2030, I would say 50% of large enterprises are actually going to shift to public cloud. Um, I know people are driving their feet right now. There are some weaknesses in public cloud. Those will be resolved. And the reasons, the things that are going to drive it are because one, companies will have shared resources, which only Mm -hmm. makes sense. Two, they'll have shared intelligence data. And three, they'll be moving, spending talent dollars on these resources that instead of using in-house capabilities that could be standardized, they'll move to uh, a wiser spending of their company dollars for talent. Um, And in the world of apps and healthcare um, with AI, we are, 2024 could be the turning point for the rise of the independent healthcare network and the fall of the medical profession. And the reason I say that is because anytime you're online and you're looking for some kind of medical solution today, used to be, you know, medical medline or other government sites came up as solutions. That still happens. Increasingly, we're seeing ads for self-medication and self-solutions. This rose during COVID. We finally got comfortable with the idea of telemedicine. But today, and I think for the immediate future, we're going to see a real increase in the advent of apps that make it more easy and more accessible for people to get medications and to get the medical advice and to self-diagnose. My three. Thank you very much. I saw a lot of heads nodding when you were talking about the healthcare part. Thank you very much, Sherry. Let's go. We're going to go up into the air now with Ryan Walsh. Ryan, we're ready for you. Three, four minutes. Go ahead. All yours. Thank you so much for having me, Bunny. Um, I'm going to piggyback a lot on what Eric said, um, particularly in the drone market. We're seeing a big shift right now because of AI. Um, Over the past few years, a lot of what we've seen is uh, manually controlled drones with um, some AI controlling subsystems like the landings and certain aspects of the route planning. Um, But we're starting to see more AI cores get built in to where the entire flight aspect is starting to get controlled or planned or, um, you know, navigated in certain ways by AI. And so that's going to shift a lot of the uh, 
the capabilities of drones, because when you take the human error out of it, it's going to be infinitely uh, more safe and more effective. So adding in new AI overlays that we're seeing coming in like UTM, um, traffic management in collision avoidance, it's bringing this whole thing together into a very cohesive system that's starting to look like sci-fi. It's really starting to look like the movies for the first time. Uh, before you'd see drones are a little clunky. It's not anymore. It really looks like some stuff you'd see uh, in any of your favorite movies. And so that's kind of leading to this Kitty Hawk moment where we are going to start having these autonomous systems that are able to make decisions. And we're seeing more and more of it from the war in Ukraine um, it's really pushing the boundaries. So as these drones start to, you know, decide where they're going, avoid paths that they know are going to be problems, and in turn, uh, take the the human aspects out of it, it's going to open up the door for a lot of Fortune 1000s to start platforming this into their tech stack. And so we see that being the ultimate prediction in this by 2030. I would imagine most companies have some form of a drone program in some way, shape or form. Very interesting. That's I it. I love the Kitty Hawk moments. I wrote that yes. down. Uh, Ryan, I have to tell you, I uh, some of you may know, I like French detective thriller shows in the French language. It helps me improve rather than being able to just count backwards from five on my countdown. And I have the subtitles on, but I learn a lot of phrases. And uh, there's one series called The Perfect Murders. And in this particular one, somebody, Ryan, wanted to get rid of uh, somebody in their company they didn't want to be around anymore. So they put a drone into a special compartment next to the man's custom swimming pool in a house that was being built on spec. And when the man was in this hot tub, it was a hot tub, the drone came out, lifted a lamp, plugged in, and tipped it into the hot tub. The drone never went near the water. The lamp stayed in the water. We know what happened to the guy in the hot tub. The lamp, the drone retracted its steps, so to speak, went back into a special cabinet and deconstructed itself. The detective yep. on the case had to figure out where the hiding cubby was and how the pieces of the drone. <laughs> and it was one of those, the perfect murder. It was fascinating. Ryan, are, are you going to see a lot more drones in in uh, this type of thrillers and, and sci-fi movies, do you think? I think they're one of the biggest weapons that are kind of unregulated to some extent right now. Um, they're going to be as effective for militaries as infantry will. And all that comes from the edge computing that's kind of powering this decision making kind of as close to the use case as possible. So we're we're at like this perfect storm. So, yeah, I think so. And thank you very much. Let's move on to Tom Raftery, the man with the hat. Tom, is this, this is the black hat that I like the best, right? This is the one? It is, yeah. I also have my, my my Panama here, and I have my gray fedora there as well. So, if, if I, I was ready in case you wanted me to switch, you know, at, no, at any, we'll, at any we'll point, stick with, stick with the black one for the holidays. It's still <laughs> holidays, as far as I'm concerned. Very nice. Go ahead. Anybody else wants to run and get a hat? That's fine. We'll do a hat contest. Tom, you're up. Go ahead. Thank you, Bonnie. So, uh, you know, Bonnie, that I have the the two podcasts: the Climate Confident Podcast and the Digital Supply Chain Podcast. Well. Uh, at coming off that, a lot of my predictions are obviously in that scenario around climate and around sustainability and supply chain. And so uh, the first thing I would say is that in this, in the next few months to year, we're going to see a lot of AI driven supply chain optimization 
And that, I think, would become kind of a cornerstone for climate action in companies. And in fact, because of that, and I, I haven't made this announcement public yet, but because of that, I'm changing the name and the focus of my digital supply chain podcast. It will, fr in, a, in a couple of weeks' time, it's going to change from being the digital supply chain podcast to being the sustainable supply chain podcast because oh, no. there is such a move, I think, this is the time to switch it from digital where it was quite broad to sustainable where it'll be focusing in on sustainability because I think that's going to be a big focus for organizations in 2024 and beyond. Hold on and one so second. Everybody thumbs up on the new naming for Tom Raftery. Come on, let's give yeah. him a thumbs up. Yeah. Good idea. I just wanted you to know. Okay, Tom, you can continue now, please. Lovely. Thank you very much, folks. So has my video just frozen yes your video froze you're you're all there you go you're back okay, okay it's, the, good, good, it's good. the hat the hat took over the whole show <laughs> go ahead great uh to to eric's point I, I think iot big data machine learning companies are going to significantly reduce that or uh, use that to reduce waste and emissions paving the way for a more sustainable and a more efficient supply chain I think blockchain will will make an appearance as well, but particularly we'll see blockchain be start to use in tracking and verifying carbon emissions in supply chains. It'll enhance transparency and accountability in corporate sustainability efforts, and that will align with the growing demand for environmental integrity in business operations. There's a huge amount of regulations coming down the line for organizations to be reporting on their carbon emissions, and even more so for those carbon emissions reports to be auditable. And as a consequence of that, the, the ability to have blockchain in those uh, reports, verifying those reports and making them um, uh, immutable will, will, I think, lead to an increased focus on blockchain for supply chains, particularly for emissions reporting. I think we'll start to see decentralized energy systems as well. Again, Eric mentioned that also, the likes of organizations having their own renewables for generation, microgrids and solar powered operations. I think they'll, they'll gain traction in supply chains in 2024 because the, the shift towards localized renewable energy sources won't just reduce carbon emissions, but it will also increase the resilience of these organizations and, you know, avoid climate induced disruptions and also disruptions due to things like wars. We saw the the uh, spike in gas prices last year as a result of the war in Ukraine. And again, if you have your own local generation, you overcome that. And lastly, I think sustainability itself, again, as I mentioned at the start, it's going to become core to organizations. It's what I call the sustainability imperative because organizations are having pressure on them from their investors, from their C-suite, from their employees, from their customers, from all sides, even from uh, the banks and insurance companies, because banks are being pressured to reduce the carbon footprint of their portfolios as our insurance companies. So now organizations are finding the cost of capital is lower if an organization has reduced carbon footprint. So I think it will become core to all organizations now and into the future. So those are my predictions, Bonnie. Thank you, Tom. Very interesting. I have not heard the word blockchain in at least a year. It's been a while. Does everybody agree with me? He brought Absolutely. up, I said, I, I, it's like an old friend coming back. Let's have coffee. 
<laughs> I, I haven't heard that word in ages. I'm glad you yeah. brought it up. Uh, will, will AI help improve that immutability of that centralized responsibility and accountability that blockchain is supposed to be for, Tom? I, I think so. You see, I think you, when you use it in combination with Edge and IoT, you can start uh, grabbing the data from remote sources and 90% of an organization's emissions are from their supply chain. 90%. And sure, that 10% that you own yourself, you can you can you can guarantee that quite easily. But that 90% that's external, you know, if you have something like blockchain, then you can start to have it be completely verifiable. But without that, it becomes quite tricky. So I think in that scenario, from your supply chain in particular, the likes of blockchain will be quite useful. Thank you very much. Let's move to our author in residence today. She's waiting. She's got an unstable connection here, but she's floating in and out. We're happy you're still here. Trisha Sarone, I'm putting you on speaker view. Regale us. Trisha, welcome. Great. Thank you. I'm mostly going to talk about uh, entertainment and lifestyle, and I, I hope that at least the audio will come through. You're good. Um, in daily life, if you haven't seen it yet, chat, GPT, Claude, and similar AI engines will become the preferred search engines over Google and Wikipedia. And we're going to see that transition this year in publishing and consulting businesses. Since people can now train their own AI bots, writers can train and use their bots to help them write, as we've discussed. Um, AI can do rough drafts, write back cover copy, marketing materials, be the best resource for advertising solutions. And this is because AI will have read your books, your reviews, they'll know your brand even better than you. So for those writing a series like me, AI will also be that self-generated Bible that I can go back to if I can't remember what I said in book one out of a book seven in a series. And for nonfiction writers, we're going to see authors licensing their bots for teaching and even giving the information for free. This doesn't mean the elimination of a person, but rather a tool to give customers a low risk way to experience a person, then pay for more personalized sessions later. So the in-person experience may become something that's more um, bragging rights and street cred for people. And this, um, there will be less instructional books because we don't need instructional books anymore except for how to use AI. So for nonfiction authors, their materials need to be more personalized to their unique experiences to attract their specific audiences. And in audio, we're seeing a lot of great things that are good for authors, maybe not good for narrators. So since AI audio is so good and Google now does free AI narration for their authors, um, we, and they also let you use it on your own website. So audio narrators need to adapt quickly. But if they use AI, they can use AI to make voices male or female, change, change accents, change ages. So I see smart narrators um, performing, but still using these tools to give new products to writers. And with more resources for free sound effects and music, narrators will become more creative directors and can market products like audio plays for authors and maybe even mini movies because in video, generative AI is advancing so exponentially that we will see more AI video and companies like Pocket FM, Cuckoo FM, and others that are now providing customers with visual audio performances will begin to compete with streaming content providers. So these apps right now are a center for like genre fiction and pulp fiction. Eventually, creators who don't have access to Hollywood will experiment and the quality will improve. Um, or you'll see a partnership with a big celebrity that's going to kind of ignite this entertainment outlet. Either way, streamers need to wake up and audio, audio um, and authors should jump on board right now. 
Again, this doesn't mean the elimination of actors. Actors should think of AI as makeup and special effects that allow them to play many roles in a movie and make their own content, all of which further decentralizes traditional studios until, of course, we see the big studios buy up all the apps. And in water and food supply, I see next Christmas the popular novelty gift will be a portable thermometer-like device that you can carry with you to check water at home and in restaurants. And as more people see the failures in water and food supply, these tools will support a grassroots movement for change in water safety and food production, and that will lead to new legislation and practices. Last, in medicine and society, since AI can brain map the progressive impact of alcohol as this procedure becomes more common, um, doctors can better influence patients to stop drinking. So between healthcare providers, research, and social influencers, more people will be saying no to alcohol, and you'll see an increase in healthy, non-alcoholic options in bars and bar alternatives. All of this will create more authentic conversations and connections between people, this will be good for families and relationships. And since the quality of our relationships determines the quality of our lives, people and societies will become generally more peaceful, purpose-driven, joyful, healthy, kinder, better communicators, and live longer. So thank you, AI, and I hope that came through. It did. Can we have a round of applause, Patricia Cerrone? <laughs> the optimism queen today. Thank you very much. I have to tell you, Tricia, a couple of weeks ago on the show, I think it was week one or week week one, I had an author who was on his fourth novel in a thriller series. And I also had a publisher and I don't think they knew each other. And the author said, because of the advances in AI, he would be able to let it help write the fourth book in the series because he needed more inspiration and it knew his style and it knew his books and it knew what he was the track of the series and um, <laughs> then we got to the publisher who was the last one the ninth one on the lineup to uh, that day and he said I would never touch a book that was completely written by AI even if it was fed the information from the author's previous works he said, I wouldn't go near it. But somebody told me that when you upload your book to self-publish in Amazon, there's now a checkbox that yes, said, is. is it AI? Is it all AI or was it AI assisted? And you're supposed to be honest. Are people going to be honest about that, Tricia? And how will we know? Um, I think some who are AI pro will be honest, but also consider the publishing industry is the slowest most archaic industry in the world. Like, like even the, the record industry was slow to change, but they were forced to. And publishing is still really, traditional publishing is really still behind and holding on to what they have. And I love a lot of the publishers and editors, but they're just slow to adopt any kind of innovation. Thank you. And I'm going to add one more note before Charles, we're going to tee you up in a second. I have another show I do called Next at the Mic, where I speak with a roundtable panel of hosts on Voice America, which is my radio platform, three or four a week, talk about the value, the importance, the impact, the future of live radio and hosting, which is, you know, all I've, I've been doing it for years. And the opening voice, the voiceover that introduces the show was created in AI by a gentleman who's the general director at Voice America for me. And we went through dozens of samples of voices. So when we play it, I ask my guests to listen carefully, and then I take a vote around the table. Who thinks this was a real human versus an AI voice? 
And some weeks, when the first person says, I think it was AI, everybody says, yes, AI. If the first person said it was real, everybody gets confused and they're not sure what to say. But the voice is so really, really good. I have to give him a name. Thank you, Tricia. Let's move around the table. Charles Wilson, you're next. Talk to us. That, thank you so much. Um, so what I want to do is just focus a little bit on what this transition means to employees and to employers. Uh, my, my background is really about helping organizations to adopt uh, these sorts of solutions, and we're starting to see some patterns uh, emerge there. And I, I think what we're going to see here in 2024 is a story of haves and have-nots, but it's not going to be based on what school you went to, how many dollars you have in your bank account. It's going to be really about how much time did you spend outside of work getting to know these technologies and figuring out how they can actually make you more productive uh, in the specific industry or, or knowledge area that you uh, have chosen to work in. And what this is gonna end up looking like within an organization is you're gonna have certain individuals that have gone through, paid the price to do this, and they're gonna be 10 to 100 times more productive than their coworker who hasn't gone through this process. Mm -hmm. And so that's gonna create a dynamic within these organizations where you're going to have a level of productivity difference uh, where you know maybe 20% of your employees are hyperproductive or exponentially productive. The other 80% of the employees are kind of waiting for what the organization gives to them. And as a result, uh, these organizations are going to have to deal with, do I rewrite my uh, organization purpose in order to tailor to these hyperproductive uh, employees? Or do I kind of go with uh, my my existing uh, purpose and tailor to my existing employees? So I think that tension is going to come out really strongly as this uh, year comes or uh, moves forward. And uh, look forward to uh, encouraging everybody I talk to to make sure they're in that twenty percent. Uh, getting make sure you're spending the twenty dollars that you have to as price of admission. Uh, in order to get familiar with these tools and start to uh, build your own library uh, to make you more successful. Thank you very much. Brief and to the point. Uh, thank you very much, Charles. Is is hiring going to change, Charles, in terms of, of people? Is hiring going to change? We all know that we've been going through, I think, AI gateways when you apply for a job online, right, Sherry, for years and yeah, years absolutely. and years. Absolutely. And you're trying to get, you have to now make your resume or whatever you upload keyword intensive for the job. And you have to make sure that it reflects what the offering is, what the posting is. And now will AI make that an, a better process? I don't know. Am I off track here, Charles or Charles or Sherry? Either one of you want to comment on that? Will AI I'll, make it more I'll jump human? jump in here real quick. Yeah, please. Yeah, so please. I, I think you've seen this in Silicon Valley for years where uh, these organizations really want people to be more creative. Uh, to have done things outside of kind of your traditional uh, job path. So I, I think organizations more and more are going to be looking for that self-starter, uh, that initiative, the ability to create kind of this hyper productivity and bring that into an organization. I will say that when I have, I'm trying to think of who, not any of you, but when I have newcomers to the show, to Technology Revolution and my other shows, more and more recently, the bios are sounding exactly alike. They've mm -hmm. been put through AI and everybody is extraordinary. 
Everybody is incredibly smart and savvy and well-prepared. Everybody has exemplary experiences. And the superlatives are just, I'll say, nauseating. And I can pick out the same words. So my question here is, <laughs> yeah, too much chocolate. A diet gets too much. My, my question here is, will the, the gatekeepers, the AI, be able to say, rejected bio, you wrote that in AI, and say, go back and send me something from a real person. Wouldn't that be interesting if the same gatekeepers that don't let you through to a human interviewer will say, I know you didn't write this. Wouldn't that be an interesting take where it comes back, this is not a real person bio. Just throwing that out. Sherry, anything you want to say on that? Um, that's terrifying. Um, (laughs) let me just say that what, what, um, Charles started his predictions with by saying that people and organizations and people have to be more engaged in external things outside of work to continue learning. That's actually what helps people get jobs more so than the resumes. I mean, resumes, recruiting systems, still a necessary evil. Um, but it's who, you know, and what, you know, and who you connect with that really in most cases, helps people get land good careers. Thank you very much. Let's go on. Alexandra Whittington, we're so happy to have you here. It's your turn. Go ahead. So glad to be here. And I really like my place in the speaking order because I get to comment and sort of, you know, absorb all of these other technologies that have been brought up with the edge computing and the IoT, the sustainability themes that have come up. These are all going to play out in the predictions that I'm sharing with you. Um, And, you know, the first thing I want to say is these aren't necessarily predictions, but the prediction here is these are all things that they're not necessarily new, but they're kind of coming to a tipping point or a boiling point perhaps in 2024. So the first one is uh, sustainability plus AI. Uh, This idea that we could use artificial intelligence to come up with new green solutions, whether it's new materials or new ways of you know, harnessing energy, just the idea that we can apply AI and some of these other technologies, you know, AI plus digital twins could equal some really cool new sustainability solutions. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things that, you know, I see the convergence happening and it touches on all of this stuff. Even drones uh, could be involved in these kinds of things. Um, Another technology I'd throw into the mix there is supercomputing. And one of the big weather or atmospheric um, agencies has developed a supercomputer that they've named Derecho, which is after one of the weather systems, an extreme weather system that they're using to, uh, you know, come up with ideas for how to do geoengineering, which is sort of, you know, reverse engineering our way out of some of the climate um, issues, you know, these complex problems that we have. So I thought that was kind of an interesting mix. Uh, The next one I'll say has to do with these like smart cities and utopian cities that you've been hearing popping up around the world. Neom is a big example out of Saudi Arabia, this like super utopian, uh, full, fully automated, totally sustainable city. And I think that as those continue to be a trend, right, they're being founded by uh, big investment dollars, which is coming from kind of the startup world, it's coming from the philanthropy world, it's coming even from, even from the corporate world. Uh, so I think that when you start putting AI into these intentional communities, we're going to be learning a lot about, you know, how we live, how we settle, and whether or not we can move forward with that, with that kind of smart city uh, vision that's been around since, I, I think the Jetsons were mentioned earlier. So that kind of idea, uh, it, it, can it come to fruition? 
And then lastly, I'm just going to say that it depends who you ask, but a lot of demographic groups and demographic uh, scholars have said that 2024 is the first year for the next generation that follows uh, this Gen Z and even Gen Alpha. They're called Gen Beta. And they're starting to be born in 2024. So this is going to be a truly AI uh, native generation, right? They'll never know a world without artificial intelligence and some of these other technologies that we talked about. And hopefully they'll never know a world without, um, you know, unsurmountable challenges around sustainability and, and food scarcity and water issues that have come up um, and, and global conflicts, right? So, you know, here's to Gen Beta and hopefully, you know, setting them up on a really positive path to the future. Thank you very much, Gen Alpha. How many of you have heard of Gen Alpha and Gen Beta? You have Eric. Anybody yeah, else? Alpha. Ryan. Wow, I must. I must uh, have to expand my reading list. Obviously, <laughs> very, very cool. Thank you very much, Alexandra. Let's keep this moving. Let's go to Jeremy Kessler. Jeremy, welcome. Talk to me. Hey, everybody. Yeah. Um, in my predictions, I chose to focus a little bit, like Charles, about sort of the employee experience and what it's what's it going to be like inside of a company. How is it going to be different? Um, what you were alluding to about how well each individual pursues learning about using AI tools, like in the learning field, we would call that a gap, right? And sometimes they come along and they catch you by surprise. Like, you know, I have a friend who runs a company that teaches employees how to uh, use social media to evangelize for their companies. And, you know, that's a curve that is still very much in process, right? When you look at every company, are all the employees good evangelists on social media? Do they know what to say, what not to say? So this is a brand new gap that is arising. And certainly um, the starting gun has already gone off as far as building your skills and using AI tools. So um, what I envision is that these AI tools will be able to capture and help companies extract much greater value from their institutional knowledge. So this is a little bit like what Trisha was saying about remembering your full inventory of books and every word that was said. Um, sometimes they refer to this as institutional memory. Uh, your AI is going to sit like the smartest ever fly on the wall um, inside your corporate firewall. Um, and it'll begin to capture all of that institutional knowledge. So how many times have we encountered, you know, when somebody leaves your company and all of their expertise goes out the door with them, a few months later, you're thinking about continuing something they were working on and you don't have access to them or any of their files and you're stuck. And so what happens is you end up completely reinventing the wheel, going over the same things that you've done before. And so AI will make this easier to prevent, basically, and be able to keep up the momentum of all these different projects. And you'll have a, just a better handle on what you've done, um, what other people have done, and how you did it, basically. So um, I'm envisioning these AI bots will become kind of a, an extension of a team, like a valued team member, probably with a name, right? Like we yell from the dinner table to ask Alexa questions. So that's sort of what I envision happening you know, around the conference room table. And it's going to be a team member that remembers absolutely everything and can also make helpful suggestions. And an important thing for a learning function is to identify what are the best practices so that you can share them and disseminate them. That's a core function for any learning team. And so I think AI is going to make that more effective. Um, and as they become more valued, they'll become more personified um, and we'll, become, we'll begin to view them as uh, the keepers of institutional knowledge. So with that, I have a quick story, which mm -hmm. is um, I was on a small 
meeting with a group of leadership coaches, and we gathered for a monthly Zoom call, but we had an unexpected guest. It was Michelle's Otter AI bot. So if you don't know what this is, it's a bot that basically attends your meeting and it takes notes and summarizes and can even do action items and things like that. In this case, we were waiting for Michelle to arrive, but she never did. (laughs) No. So we were puzzled at first, um, but unfortunately for us, nobody in the meeting had host rights. So we couldn't kick the bot out. (gasps) And so it, it... it brought up this dilemma, you know, we had a decision to make. Should we disband the meeting? Should we send out new Zoom information? Uh, or should we just keep going, knowing that we were being sort of watched, captured, summarized, whatever? Um, and so we decided to just go along. And it was unsettling at first. Many jokes were made. Uh, but ultimately, we just accepted its presence and we moved on Um And this is what I assume we'll all ultimately have to do as well. So the lesson here is it's already happening. (laughs) Whether the bots are invited or not, they are here and they're going to make their presence known. um, And it's our task to adapt to it. Thank you very much. I had a guest on my radio show yesterday who sent two bots into the room, Jeremy. And because I'm the host with privileges, I rejected both of them. Eventually, (laughs) the real person showed up. But because the bots were not named According to his real name, I said to the other guests who had shown up on time, is this yours? And they said, what are you talking about? They had no idea any, they were not AI aware, let's put it that way. So I I will, I reject uh, if they come in, I just, I say, just delete from the meeting. I don't want to do that. Thank you very much, Jeremy, and appreciate the story. I think we all got a good laugh out of that. How many of you have had an AI bot come into a Zoom call or a meeting call? Anybody? Yeah. Will you, will you allow it or do you do talk to it? Do you accept it, Sherry? It was within the company, so I allowed it. Yeah. Ryan, what about you? Ryan, unmute. They're pretty standard in our industry. Everybody's got them. Yeah. Really interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, some of us feel like it's an interloper. We don't want it. So, I mean, so. even if you're recording something, you're getting a transcript. It's I do that anyway. Well, I don't do transcripts, but I record the Zoom, uh, the Zoom meetings. Okay, Brad Borkin, you're up. Let's get our adventurer, author, thriller, decision maker. Go ahead, Brad. Welcome. Okay. okay great. Thanks, Bonnie. So, picking up on some of the conversations that started early on in this in this Zoom session. I uh, want to talk about something that Ryan had mentioned and Sherry Ann had mentioned about the Kitty Hawk moment. Mm. So I'm working on a new book that's coming out in a month or two, and it's all about small teams, very small teams, teams of two and three people. And my interest is in how do things get built? How do things happen in the world? And what can we learn from them? And when you talk about Kitty Hawk moment, one of the great small teams that's ever existed is the Wright Brothers. And yet, when you look at everything that's happened in society, you're looking at, you know, whether it's it's Hillary and Tenzing climbing Everest, Perry and Henson trying to get up to the North Pole, never actually got there, but it's an interesting story what happened with them. Uh, Woodward and Bernstein, Gilbert and Sullivan. There are just tons and tons of small teams that did things. And so while there's a focus, I know, on AI, I want to bring it back to human beings. And it's like, actually... You want to solve big problems, it's going to be, yes, AI is going to play a part, but very small teams will play a part. When you look at the, the, the COVID vaccine was invented by two scientists that got together. They actually met over a photocopier 25 years ago, and that's how they started their partnership. And so it's, it's, 
interesting when you look at, at, at humans and how they interact, and then you throw AI into the mix will be very interesting going, for you, going forward. The Because I write about the early Antarctic explorers, and when I was talking with Bonnie about this, I said, I'm not an AI expert. What do I talk about? She said, talk about Shackleton. So I want to talk about something that Shackleton said when he was talking about what did you look for in team members? What did you look for in leaders? And he said, there are five things, optimism, patience, physical endurance. Now, physical endurance may not be that important going forward with, with computers and things, because we all can sit in our chairs and, and do things without climbing mountains or being in Antarctica, like the photo behind me. So uh, optimism, patience, physical endurance, idealism, and courage. Mm. And those are the driving factors. So it's, it's an interesting, interesting, compelling list. And so I want to move the topic on to one area that's that I'm focused on coming into 2024, 2025, which is selecting leaders in businesses, not CEOs. I mean, in a business, like I worked at SAP, where we had leaders throughout the organization, whether you're team leaders or department heads or different levels in the company, you had a, a hundred thousand people, you may have had three, four, five thousand leaders in different areas of that business. How do you select the best people? How do you, what, what work, what people are the best people? And, and it has not to do with, uh, well, there are many factors. And, and so the book I'm going to write is about all the various factors that, that one looks for in these various leaders. Uh, but I think it's going to come down to team building. It's going to not come down to technology. It's going to come down to how well can you build small teams and lead them? And how well can you be empathetic? to other people and other situations. And it's gonna be interesting to see how organizations evolve in the next two or three years, especially when you throw AI into the mix. So, and then just moving on lastly, just to AI for a little bit. At one level, we can say AI is gonna change everything. It's gonna change completely the entire world. And yet when you look at history, we all said, who needs cinemas? Once you invent, a, once DVDs came out, some of us are old enough, Bonnie and I'm probably, the, the, the older people like, can sit there and say, well, we we re can remember when DVDs came out and people said, well, no one's ever going to go to a movie theater again, a cinema again. And yet, you know, there, there's boom time for cinemas, isn't it? So uh, we see things being thrown out, but they sort of come back. Vinyl records are another thing. People started moving back to vinyl. In fact, I was reading the other day about people saying they want to go back and start uh, uh bring back blockbusters or things you go to a store and buy or rent videos because the old videos had certain qualities about them that they don't have in, in, in uh so it's streaming tv so it's it's an interesting mix that i think we've got a very exciting interesting future but there's a big element of human beings and small teams in the mix of all this Thank you very much. I have two things to say, Brad. One thing, uh, talking about vinyl coming back, plus I change, plus LMM shows. The more things change, the more they stay the same. And mm. you talked about physical endurance. I think we've invented in the past few years, except especially for, through COVID, virtual endurance. How many Zoom yes. meetings can a person do a day? How many photo bombs can you stop from your kids and your pets behind you and have some dignity in your meetings, right? <laughs> and my solution is, you always have the same clothes. You always have a background ready, a digital background. You always wear your brand color and your jewelry and whatever it is. And you always 
are, you have a uniform, you have a presence and you don't have to say, oh my God, what am I going to wear today? You just be your brand. And that's how I've solved this problem because of all the shows. Thank you all. This is wonderful. We, and Tom, <laughs> that hat. Well, he has three, four hats. So, you know, it's, it's not confusing. It's just, I, I am so impressed with each of you. I know you all, each of you a little bit from the shows you've been on during this year with me during 2023, but these shows tend to bring out a different side of each of you when you're preparing your own predictions, not on my topic, but on your own topics. We have uh, four minutes till close. I'm going to play a little game and please play along. I'm going to go through the original order here. So it's going to be Eric, Sherry, Ryan, Tom, Trisha, Charles, Alexandra, Jeremy, and Brad. And I'm going to ask you if you had a chance to talk to a person who is no longer alive through an AI chatbot dialogue, chat GPT, or anything else, who would that person be? And don't everybody say Einstein or Shakespeare or Gandhi or JFK. <laughs> okay, let's stay away from those, especially not Churchill. Okay, so uh, let's go through the list. Who would be the one person? And if you want to quickly add in just a name, a fictional character you would like to talk to through an AI dialogue. Eric Simone, quick, who? Kurt Vonnegut. And my question would be, where does humanity go from here? Is okay. Fiction, wit, fic yeah. Fictional character. You got a fictional character yeah. you want to talk to? Uh, Rick Deckard, uh, the, uh, the the replicant from uh, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep and Blade Runner. Thank you very much. Uh, once Sherry again, I'd ask him, what is humanity? <laughs> there you go. Well, we can close the show now. Sherry Ann Meyer, who do you want to talk to? Oh, Steve Jobs. Absolutely. You know, did he always have the confidence? Did he know he would succeed? What made him succeed? Um, and for a fictional character, gee, Mark Twain's uh, character, Huckleberry Finn, I think. Oh, very interesting. Ryan Walsh, uh, who? Two. I would love to just understand uh, what was it like living back then? Yep. Yep, absolutely. What was what were the summers like? I'd like to know what were the summers like and what was the raft and having that thing in between your teeth. Uh, Tom, I'm sorry, Ryan Walsh, you're next. Who? I would say Tesla. I would want to find out why he got picked up by the FBI. Um, and as far as fictional characters, there's a lot of alien movies. I think they'd be the right people to ask about what's going on out there. Thank you very much. Tom Raftery, two people. I'd be fascinated to have a chat with Alexander the Great. Um, I mean, he he had an incredible career and, and lifetime. It wasn't really a career per se, but, you know, uh, I, I think it would just be fascinating to to uh, talk to him. And fictional. fictional characters, Ford Prefect uh, from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I think that would be awesome. Thank you, Ooh, Trisha. Yeah. We got to go fast. Trisha, too. Uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle for fictional, I mean, for um, real. Yep. And um, let's see, for fictional, Nancy Drew. Oh, thank you very much. I'll tell you a story about Nancy Drew. Charles, who? Uh, Woodrow Wilson, actually. So he, he lived at a pivotal no, time. No, no, no. Just give me the name. We don't have time. Name, oh, okay. Woodrow, Woodrow Wilson and uh, I would, I'd say uh, Captain Nemo. Thank you very much. Alexandra, who? Margaret Mead and Indiana Jones. Very nice. Um, Jeremy Kessler. Uh, John Hughes, the guy who did like Pretty in Pink and Ferris Bueller and the movie producer and um, fictional would be James Bond. Brad Borkin. Good one. Uh, I'd say the Wright brothers as real people and Buzz Lightyear. Thank you. <laughs> Trisha, <laughs> Nancy Drew was a an anonymous name used by 38 different authors to write the Nancy Drew yes. series book. Wow. Somebody quoted Nancy Drew on one of my shows and I had to look it up. There was a gentleman who was a publisher and he used his company's last name was The Syndicate. 
and his sister be, took over, and there were writers, male writers and female over the years who took on the pseudonym of Nancy Drew. There was no writer of, uh, what was the name of the person who wrote Nancy Drew? Whoever that was. Yes, that, that writer's name was fictional. Anyway, everybody, get ready. Put your finger up. We're going to do a no, no, no. We got 30 seconds. People say the future is already here, and don't go away. We're going to take a picture. Tom, you wait for me. People say the future is already here and our answer on the count of three, one, two, three, no, no, no. No, oh, no, 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 no. And that's because that was yesterday's future. That was the future before I said that sentence. And now it's gone because we're all doing our darndest best to make it a better one. Everybody wave goodbye, wave goodbye. LinkedIn, wave goodbye. Facebook, wave goodbye. You Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now.